Blog Talk Radio. It's the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering you to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speedway Pierce. Welcome to a new episode of the Speedway Show, an idea exchange helping us to live well, live fully, and love deeply by improving the quality of our spiritual, professional, and personal lives. Today, our topic is going to be divorce, a cultural epidemic. The first thing that I'll tell you is that this is going to be an adult topic and we're going to get into some um, pretty adult aspects of uh, our, our discussion today. So I want you to exercise your discretion in uh, if you happen to have young ears around. If you cannot listen to it or if you get to that point where you're thinking, well, gee, I probably should not listen to this anymore then I remind you that you can always listen to this show and any other show we've done by visiting thespeedwayshow.com and simply selecting the episode and just follow the directions. Click on the blue box if you want to listen. And uh, if it's uh, last week's show, our first uh, visual uh, video program, you can actually click on the link and uh, uh, take a look at it in YouTube. So here we are with today's topic, and I'm going to start it with a question. What do these couples have in common, Seal and Heidi Klum? You might have noticed the two of them in the paper lately. Kenny G and Lindy Benson Gorlick, Demi Moore and Ashton Kutcher, Katy Perry and Russell Brand, Jennifer Lopez and Mark Anthony, Courtney Cox and David Arquette, Maria Shriver and Arnold Schwarzenegger, David Duchovny and Taya Leone. Each of these couples reportedly separated or divorced within the past 12 months. I actually stopped the list because it went on and on and on. It was really kind of unfortunate. Even after, you know, the magical whirlwind, for those of you who watched The the Bachelor, uh, after the whirlwind, magic, the tears, the down-on-one-knee, extreme romance, last season stars from The Bachelor, Emily Maynard and Brad Womack, could not keep the spark going after the camera stopped rolling, and they broke up. Now let me take a moment here to say that as one who was married for 13 years and has been divorced for three plus, I stand in judgment of no one. So if you have been through a divorce, we are in the same boat. This is not a show that is intended to make you feel bad, but I do have some thoughts that I want to share with you that kind of made me go, Hmm, I wonder if this has something to do with that. So here are the statistics. According to the Forest Institute of Professional Psychology, 50% of first marriages, 60%, uh, 67% of second marriages, and 74% of third marriages end in divorce in the United States. And, um, of course, why the number goes up, because you'd think people would get better at this as they... Uh, tried the second and third time, that's a topic for another show. But 
Uh, I did happen upon a blog called uh, uh, com, and um, there actually is a link to that blog spot on uh, the show. Uh, if you get on the com and you scroll down to the related links, you'll find this link. And uh, Blogspot, this, this particular Blogspot suggests that when you take into account the couples that stay married long-term, the U.S. divorce rate is actually around 40% and will probably never be higher than that. However you factor the statistics, it is startling that, by contrast, at approximately 1% of marriages, divorce rates in India are amongst the lowest in the world. As an aside, when I talk about Indians on this show, I'm talking about East Indians, not Native Americans, who I would argue aren't even Indians at all, but that's a topic for another show. There are other countries such as Sri Lanka, Japan, Turkey, Macedonia, and Armenia, where, again, you see some reported divorce rates in the single digits. Now, here I must make a distinction so you know that when I say India or Japan or any other country, I'm talking about the marriages in that country itself. I am not talking about the marriages amongst the people of that culture who do not live there. Uh, Those who are uh, often called the children of the diaspora, if you will. And the reason I make that distinction is because I actually came across some statistics that suggested that the number of uh, people who get divorced who do not live in that particular um, country anymore, the, the people in the diaspora, that divorce rate is actually higher than the divorce rate of people who actually live in the country, which then you know, makes you realize that statistics are such a, um, in some ways, they're, they're kind of a, a very sensitive, sensitive thing. Because, uh, you know, you change one thing even with the same group of people and uh, all of a sudden your numbers are completely different. So all that to say, when I talk about the Indians, when I talk about the Japanese, when I talk about the Zimbabweans, I'm talking about them that live in those countries. And so uh, we can't generalize based on um, a people's culture regardless of location. And while we are on the topic of generalizing, we also can generalize the ideas I'm about to share with you to all people in a particular ethnic group, right? So the fact that there is a divorce rate at all is clear evidence that the keys of success have not applied to everybody in that particular culture. And so as with most things, I have no doubt that if you look, you will find people at different places all along that relationship continuum. Now let's get to the question of how come divorce rates around the world vary so much? How come in a country like India that has historically relied on arranged marriages, the divorce rate is so low, whereas in a country like the U.S., where we get to choose our own spouse, and presumably marry for love, among perhaps other things, the statistics suggest much lower success when it comes to staying married long-term. Is the issue that people simply make wrong choices in a spouse, or is the issue something else? Could it be our expectations of what a marriage is, should be, entails, 
and how we measure it. Could it be that that is part of the challenge in a place where you see higher divorce rates? Let's take a global tour and explore some reasons why divorce rates might be low and the role that culture plays in the longevity of marriage. Now, at this juncture, let me remind you that the Speedway Show is an idea exchange. So what I'm about to suggest are some ideas based on my own research, my observations, talking to my friends. I myself am not originally from the United States. I'm from Zimbabwe, so I come at this topic with my own package of of experiences and observations from my country as well. And frankly, that is part of the reason why this has even become a question for me because I thought, you know, in my country, things do work a little bit differently, and I'm going to share with you what that looks like. Now, if you have different or additional ideas about this topic and you missed the live recording, go to thespeedwayshow.com and uh, click on this episode, and uh, you can uh, provide your comments. If you happen to be uh, uh, online and you happen to be listening, then um, please do not hesitate to call in when you get on the website. You are going to get to a um, phone number that you can call in, and uh, I will announce that number in a little bit, but you can call in and let me know what you think. So now, let's get going with our topic. So here, I'm going to start with... India. And what I'm going to tell you is that the divorce rate in India is, as I said, 1%, right? So then, why is that the case? I took a look around. I have some Indian friends and uh, East Indian friends that uh, I talked to about this topic and uh, just have over time just ask some questions about, gee, how does this work and why is it? And uh, so I'm going to share first what I have learned about India, and it looks like I might have a caller. Hello, caller, you're on the air. Hello? Well, I think, hello, are you there? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay, yeah, finally, sure, sure, sure. Hey, this is a slam dunk uh, for an individual such as myself. I miss the solution. I'm a troubleshooter. Uh, the two problems that uh, that cause the uh, divorce rate, the higher divorce rate in the U.S. than in any place else in the world, has to do with the destruction of uh, gender roles and also the uh, the law. The law is the primary culprit in doing this. It has. Uh, you know, of course, given women complete freedom, and we can talk about the uh, feminist civil rights movement where women have been granted uh, total equality with men but not equal accountability. That's why roughly 75 to 80 percent of divorces are initiated by women uh, because, number one, most women don't know what they want in a relationship. They get connected with the wrong guy. And, of course, the law gives women all the power in a relationship. If you look at the divorce that Hulk Hogan just got, he had to turn uh-huh. over over 70% of his wealth to his woman. So there are benefits was that, was in she not working? creating. Go ahead. Was she not working? Is that why it was 70%? That seems awful high, doesn't it? 
Well, it's high because just like I say, the law is very biased, and and it it, it tends to empower the woman. This comes from the federal government. Uh, It gives the woman all the reproductive rights. You don't find that true in most other countries. In other words, a woman can, uh, can, she can get pregnant, she can, of course, abort the child, uh, or she can keep it and force a single man to pay for it. So the law is the, and, and see, most of us can't see the law. We're not t- trained to see how the law actually governs us. So that is the primary reason that you have the, the law encourages divorce. It actually promotes divorce. Like I say, it gives one, it, it, it falsely subsidizes the female gives her all the power, all the bravado, without any accountability. So a woman gets a divorce, she gets the children, she gets the house, she gets uh, most of the bank account, she gets the car, she gets the assets, and then she can move on to another relationship. That is where the... Well, well, okay, let me ask you this. Do you suppose that, see, now... That is a very interesting perspective, I have to say, because as a woman, as you can imagine, I would have not, as a woman who's been divorced, I would have never looked at it that way. But here's my question to you. Do you suppose that if women were not as empowered, do you think that the divorce rate would be lower? And do you think that was because men preferred to stay in the marriage? Absolutely. Let me answer your first question. Uh, had you finished? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely, the, the divorce rate would be lower because a lot of women, I mean, I talk and interact with women all the time. And if you want to go to a particular group of women, you, you know, whether it's Asian, Hispanic, white, or black, let's go with black, for example. Black women uh-huh. tend to be some of the most aggressive and slick mouthed women there are, they're very disrespectful. And the reason they're disrespectful is because they get the signal from the government. For example, black women are supported on one end, and I call it a low end, by welfare. That means the government, uh-huh. that means the government is subsidizing them. On the other low end, although we may consider it not low, but it is low, it's the corporate and government jobs that women have. So they have no businesses within their uh within their within their group as other cultures do. All other cultures can at least feed themselves. So they have a modicum, if not more, of economic viability. Blacks tend to have none of that. So the black woman is 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 purposely put out in front. And you can read the Moynihan, the Daniel Patrick Moynihan report under the, the Department of Labor. But what happens is the woman, the black woman particularly and specifically in America, let me make that very clear, in America, Uh she has no respect for the black man because she's subsidized by the government. And so, therefore, it's very conflictual. That's the reason you have virtually 70-plus percent of kids born out of wedlock. If the government didn't support the out-of-control female lifestyle, Females would get back in check. They would get back in 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 in, in order. Uh, there's no priority for marriage. That's another thing. The churches help keep marriage in disarray, because even in this 
are equal and free society, what you call egalitarianism, where women have equal rights with men, they don't have equal accountability. So you have women making this ridiculous statement. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And they apply that to single women in order to get oh, that this. Is, um, that's Proverbs, isn't it? Excuse me? That's Proverbs, isn't it? That's I understand, but what I'm saying is that is quoted totally out of context. The woman is not a wife, and she's not even a girlfriend. But what is she demanding? The same benefits as a wife or girlfriend. Sure, they're all three women, but she's just a stranger. So she's saying a man should do all of these things for me. So you can't even get the conversation started. To, and I talk about communication, communication, communication. The, the law helps block communication between men and women. So the woman can make all these ridiculous demands and say the man should do all of this for me, and the man doesn't even know her, and most men say, I'm not going to do that. So they can't even have a communication. It gives women too much power. It gives women a false power. It it. it it inhibits communication, very crucial communication. So the law is the one that's structuring the demise of the male-female relationship from start to finish. So when you think back to the, the 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 days when the divorce rate was lower, say, and I, you know, I don't even know when that was, but give me your your sense of when was it better. When were things good between the man and the woman? When do you think there was balance? What did that look like? What was the man's role back then? Was that when he was the sole breadwinner in the family? Or was it at was it a different time than that? Well, first of all, let me just say, and that's an easy one for me. First of all, let me just, and I'll answer that. Let me just say, mm-hmm. do, you get, do you acknowledge what I'm saying when I make it palpable, when I explain it the way that I am? I'm not the most eloquent person, but I am hitting the high point. Now, to answer your question, it was in the 60s. Uh, first of all, the U.S. Census reports that's, um, that the singleness rate is higher in America than it has ever been before, and for the reasons I've already given. The law sets up confusion, and it attempts to destroy the relationship between men and women. It was better in the 60s. Remember, the Civil Rights Act uh, passed in 1964. The uh, Equal Pay Act passed in 1963. So, and there was nothing wrong with that. That was fine because it gave people rights they didn't formally have. But prior to the 60s, Domesticity was the pretty much the occupation of women. But then women mm-hmm. said, we want our full freedom as human beings, as citizens, as adults. And the law granted that to them, which wasn't the case before. So women have entered the workforce in droves, and they have their own money and, and this sort of thing. But they don't have equal responsibility. For example, I'll give you two of the biggest ones, the largest issues. Reproductive rights, where you had in 1963, the woman was given total reproductive autonomy. And what that means is she can opt out of parenthood. She, a woman can opt out of parenthood legally. A man cannot. 
The other one is selective service registration. You have women who can vote, and there's nothing wrong with that, women who are free and equal to men, but they don't have to register for the selective service. And that gives women a false power and a false reality. So much so, uh, Barack Obama commented on it when he was uh, running for president, and I, I'm going to try and quote him. Basically what he said, and he made it very personal, he says, I want my little girls to know that they have the same accountability that our young boys have, and that is mm -hmm. that they should register for the selective service. That gives you employment advantages over a man. They check a man's selective service, whether or not he's registered for the selective service. And if he hasn't, he can't get a job in state, local, federal government. He can't get any professional license, can't be a doctor, can't be an attorney, can't be a CPA. And I'm pretty sure you didn't know this. And in 34 states, Unless a man has registered for the selective service, he can't even get a driver's license. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. So the law sets up a huge schism or a chasm between men and women. It, it puts us at odds against each other. You guys should be registering for the selective service so you can have the, uh, the opportunity to know what structured, disciplined behavior is like. You are only accountable to yourself, not having is, to rest. Go ahead. Come here. What is, what is your name? Mr. Solution. Oh, Mr. Solution. Okay, Mr. Solution, you know what? Let me, let me, let me run this scenario by you and uh, see what you, you tell me what you think about this. In Japan. So this is about, you know, what is the, the, the role that culture plays in the divorce rate and the, you know, longevity of marriage. So I took a look at Japan. So let me, let me tell you about Japan because some of what you're saying, you may actually point to Japan and say, see, this is what I'm talking about. In Japan, the divorce rate, depending on who you ask, you know, some reports say it's as low as 2.2%. Some say it's as high as 30%. Whatever it is, it's lower than in the United States, Okay. Now, the, in terms of the difference in culture in Japan, you've got a situation where traditionally, and of course this is changing, right, as, as, as places become more westernized, but traditionally in Japan, for example, you have a situation where women have, they were supposed to get married and they were supposed to take care of the, the house and they were supposed to take care of their husbands. And historically they have not worked. Right, and so then what happens is you've got, and and this is also a culture that is not emotionally demonstrative. So you're not going to see public views and public displays of affection between a man and his wife in Japan historically and traditional in in traditional couples. The other thing that I I picked up on, and this was actually a report that was written by a woman who lived in Japan and she lived with several families in Japan was that, you know, she talked about the fact that in Japan, not only do you not have public displays of affection between a man and a woman, but even in their homes, they, they don't embrace, they don't hug, they don't kiss, and they may even often sleep in separate bedrooms. That is not an unusual thing. 
And she talks about going into, you know, the, the husband's or walking by the husband's bedroom and he's got posters of, you know, like Playboy posters of women and so on. And culturally, the expectation of marriage is not that we're going to marry for love and we're going to live happily ever after and I'm going to be fulfilled in my relationship. There are very distinct roles and responsibilities. So if I am the man, it is my job to go out and win the bread and feed the family and take care of my kids financially. If I am the woman, it is my job to, you know, take care of my husband, wash his socks, put on his shoes, help him with whatever. And it is my job to raise the children and do all the other wifely duties that, you know, I have. And so the mark of a successful marriage isn't whether we are together happy as a couple. It is whether we are fulfilling our responsibilities. And it gets to the point where there are some reports that would say even the number of times that Japanese couples historically have had sex is lower than the U.S. So, for example, you know, the average Japanese couple reportedly would have sex 36 times as opposed to 126 times. So you're talking about maybe once every two and a half weeks compared to an American couple that may have sex maybe uh, two and a half times a week, right? And the logic behind why the divorce rate is so low, even though culturally it doesn't sound like you necessarily have happier, um, more intimate couples, is because the cultural norm says you are supposed to be married, you are supposed to stay married. And so you end up not seeing the level of divorce because perhaps there is a higher level of social responsibility in the view of marriage and less of the sort of individualistic, what do I want? Is my marriage fulfilling me? Am I happy? So when you hear that, does that does that make you point to that kind of cultural foundation and say, see, this is where we should be going or this is what we should be doing? Well, as as any yeah that's a, that's a good uh, depiction there. As any engineer will tell you that in a uh, dependable, smooth operating system, you must have compatible parts, dependable parts, uh, and 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 you must have uh, a structure. And what you're defining is is exactly right. Uh, we don't, and I use the word compatibility. Uh, we don't encourage people to get together in a relationship of perpetuity, which is uh, defines a marriage between a man and a woman. We don't encourage them to get together uh, based upon structure. That's why I talk to men and women in America today. Now, we can get around that by creating their own uh, prenuptial agreement and having the vital communication that is often missing through that particular document but see, in Japan, the culture helps the, helps the people navigate their relationship. There's what you call the safety net of the culture. So the culture helps define and lay the foundation for the uh, married parties, and that's exactly right. And in, in, in any system where you have the greater structure, you're going to have the greater compatibility for the function that it is designed. So in marriage, see, like uh, which lady was it that got married? Britney Spears, I believe, was married for 48 hours. 
see, you have this flim-flam, flip-flopping with respect to in and out of a very serious relationship by parties who are not equipped to actually enter that relationship. And so absolutely, in most places of the world, most countries of the world, you have a more structured and orderly uh, design from a cultural standpoint with respect to marriage. So absolutely, that, that accounts for the great fallout. And see, in America, women have no defined role. They do whatever the hell they want to do, and additionally, they, they have no accountability. We never hold women accountable for anything. Now, usually when I'm having a discussion, women will, a lot of, you know, women will say, well, it goes both ways, but they don't, don't define how it goes for the woman. They say, see, saying it goes both ways is, a, is, is octopus ink. It's a means of escaping their responsibility. So by saying it goes both ways, that maintains the status quo because they're not identifying what their responsibility is and how they should discharge their responsibility. So really well, saying it goes both ways is a methodology of escapism. Well, here's what I want you to tell me. What is the woman's responsibility supposed to be, and in return, what is the man's responsibility supposed to be in a marriage? To have a long-term successful marriage, what should those responsibilities look like? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we can deal with this. Let's bifurcate. We can deal with this on on two levels. We have to. Uh, Number one, the man and woman, I say, a walk in the park and a bottle of water. That helps to maximize communication opportunities. So men and women need to communicate. The woman needs to play the role. She can initiate communication. Remember, she's a free and equal agent. She can no longer hide behind the shield that is no longer there, actually, uh, because she has total autonomy. Women are everything. Judges from the highest positions to the lowest positions, women occupy those positions. They're men's bosses, for, for, for Pete's sake. So the point is, is, number one, to have the open and adult conversation that's required to Uh, lay the foundation for a relationship, particularly based upon compatibility. That's number one. Number two is to get these laws that are mainly female bias to get get them uh, rescinded. That is, women should not have total uh, reproductive autonomy. A man should be able to say, I don't want to have a child. Now that throws it back on the woman to say, well, should I have this child if I can't afford it, that would cause her to take pause and, you know, at least look at it from the standpoint of personal responsibility. Women okay, should wait be a minute. You're talking, when you say that, are you talking about they are already pregnant now and the question is to abort the baby or not to abort the baby? Is that what you're so talking I'm about? I'm saying a woman has a panoply of options. She can, first of all, be responsible and not have unprotected sex. Women have about 15 forms of effective birth control. So we can first and foremost talk about prevention. Now we can talk about, uh, and, and, and see, women don't have to have that conversation. That's the other point. 
The law takes up for women so they don't have to have the adult conversation. Women are actually treated like children in America. Even though they're given equal rights, they're really treated like children. All right? So so uh, a woman would have to have that conversation and be personally responsible about her reproductive uh, uh, responsibility. And then I talk about the selective service. Women should have to register for the selective service. No escapism. They are citizens of this country. They need to be held, they need to be equally responsible for protecting their country. Point blank. End of issue. And men have to get the gonads and intestinal fortitude to talk to women as equal adults. Stop playing this game that doesn't work for either one of us. Women should pay on dates. Women should be asking men out and paying on dates in America. They have equal rights. You can't get around that. You know, some do. Well, some women do. You say some. All of them should be doing it, not just some. All of (laughs) you should be You guys are playing this independent, dependent game that really uh, uh, foils it for everybody because it's really schizophrenic. I'm independent when it benefits me. I'm dependent. It's narcissism narcissism on steroids. (laughs) But the law gives you the right to be crazy, and it supports you in anything you do. What is a woman responsible for in America? Tell me what responsibility does a woman have toward a man in America? What is she responsible for? What? Well, you know, I have to I have to tell you. I think that as as a woman, uh, and and I am I am I'm empowered, right? So as a woman, I'm a lawyer and I am financially independent and all of that. But you know, you're just the person I need opinion. to be talking to. Go ahead. But it, here, here's my opinion, and and I will I will admit that see I'm from Zimbabwe and therefore I have a cultural bias that may play into this. But I'm could I interrupt you, what I think. you I for just a moment? Yeah. Okay. Or may I interrupt sure. you? You know that uh, as an attorney, you know that all I'm saying is true, don't you? I, I mean, as I tell it to you, some of the things you may not have known, but as I tell you the things that I'm explaining to you, you know what I'm saying is accurate, correct? Well, you know, I think that when you talk about the reproductive rights, I, I get what you're saying. The selective service, you know, I was I got married kind of early, and I just don't remember my husband having to go into the register for the selective service. Okay, but as an attorney, anyway, you can but, but easily. But here's but here's how I feel about about this issue of responsibility of women, especially when it comes to reproduction. It is this. Okay, and but I've before had, you go I've on, had, as an attorney, you can easily research this. You don't have to depend on your unawareness of it. You can research this. Go ahead. Yes, I can. But Please here, do. here's what I think the woman's responsibility is. I think regardless of what the law is, uh, we had a governor once who was a wrestler in Minnesota, Jesse Ventura, and he said something one day that I never forgot. He said he was asked if um, – he was he was he advocates at the time I think he was advocating the legalization of marijuana and he said it was because you cannot legislate stupidity. And I'm gonna use that here to say the law does not define my responsibility as a woman. I do. So whether the law gives me all these rights or not, 
I can choose my own way, and I can choose my own path, and I can choose to relate to a man in a way that I think is right and responsible and good. I think my responsibility to my husband, for example, is that it is, you know, there's certain things that we can agree I'm going to do around the house, he's going to do around the house, we're going to help each other, and it's my responsibility to carry that out. It is my responsibility if I am single and I'm sexually active to make the decision about how am I going to be as a woman in my sexuality. I did a show not too long ago called Why Wait for Sex, and it was aimed at adults. And it talked about, you know, the value of abstention. There is a responsibility that every woman has to herself, to her partner, to her spouse, that is really, that ought to be based on integrity and on the values that would promote a successful relationship, right? And you do the best you can, but I don't think that, or at least I've never had girlfriends who would say, I'm going to take advantage of, you know, my right to decide whether or not I'm going to uh, get pregnant because the law gives me the right to. I think people do things because they're irresponsible. And to your point, maybe, if you choose to be irresponsible, then part of the problem that you have as a man is you observe that the law essentially protects the woman when she makes irresponsible choices, right? Well, yeah, that's what I just said. And as an attorney, this should be uh, immediately apparent to you once I say it, if not already apparent. Uh, I, I agree with what you just said, but my point is this. If it's brought before the law in terms of a reproductive issue, and it's not about the child, it's about the woman, because the woman can destroy the child. Uh, uh, the woman can give the child up. I'm pretty sure you've heard of safe haven abandonment. A woman has the, the options. You interrupted me a moment ago, which, which is okay. You're the host, hostess. But I was pointing out that she has abortion rights, and that gives a woman, that's a huge right, uh, the right to opt out of parenthood. She has, uh, like I say, the preventive uh, measures, which are, you know, uh, contraception, more contraception, contraception than the man. The man only has the prophylactic, which is only about 70 to 80% effective, uh, when used properly, uh, they come off, they they slip, they break, this kind of thing. Whereas, you know, some of them uh, claim as high as 90 to 99% effectiveness. Excuse me? I said some of them claim to be as effective as 90 to 99% when used properly. Yeah, but that's only if used properly. If people are under the influence of alcohol or whatever, they don't have the same effectiveness 99.9% as female reproductive. Uh, 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 contraception. But the other one is you guys can also safe haven abandon. You can turn a child over to a hospital, police station, or fire station without any further repercussions. So my point is when you put the, when you draw string all of that together, we don't force women to be mothers against their will. It's always a lifestyle and a volitional choice when a woman become, becomes a mother. It's not that way when a man becomes a father. And the reason they do that is because they have the CCA, Correction Corporation of America, and that is the penal institution. You know, involuntary servitude 
is still the order of the day if you're convicted of a crime. So they know that there's going to be a huge glut of uh, young people, male and female, under the rubric of female authority that are going to be classified as criminals in the society. So they make money on the uh, on, on on both sides. You follow what I'm saying? They they make money off of human misery. And you know, even in the stock market, there's what's called shorting the market, where you make money if the stock market goes down. So don't think that some people aren't making money off of the legal system and also the uh, child support system. They make money off of the criminal justice system and the child support system. And it's about the system's integrity and viability more than it is about the woman or the child. But they use the woman as the trigger mechanism to uh, effect this nefarious purpose. So let me ask you this. Back to the responsibility of men. Now you've got, uh, you said earlier that the man's responsibility is to, is to really have the adult conversation about expectations with the woman. Well, it's um, both their responsibilities. The man can't okay. have this conversation with the woman unless she allows it, which most women don't. But you bifurcated, right? So you started with here are the women's responsibilities. So no, now no, what, no, no, no. I bifurcated other... with respect to how it is possible for the man and woman to operate apart from the legal system. But the legal system holds the ultimate power over the man should the woman choose to opt for it. But I'm saying, okay. just like you and I are having this conversation now as adults, which is good, men and women have to be encouraged to have this kind of conversation. But this is not sexy in the eyes of most women. This is not okay. sexy. Telling a woman that she should pay and that she shouldn't be a freeloader and a pilferer uh, when 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 first meeting a guy is not attractive to most women. Women want the okay, optimum. But, Go ahead. But but you're talking a lot. We spent a lot of time talking about the women's responsibilities. But I'm I'm really curious about what you think the man's responsibilities are. Well, let's let's talk about that. Number one, men have to register for the selective service. We we just see men are structurally required, just like they have a structural uh, foundation for marriage in Japan and most of the rest of the world, men have a structural, structural responsibility in America. Men have to register for the selective service. Men have to abide by the laws that benefit women. Now, there are a lot of quality men, such as myself, uh, you know, and many, many other men. But usually, see, since the woman makes the choice in whom she selects as the partner, the man may present himself, but you all make the choice. And by making I this have to, I have to confess. Can I can I can I interrupt you there? With regard to the selective service. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm not I'm not seeing the connection between how he is registering for the for the selective service has something to do with the longevity of a marriage. Well, that makes him have a responsibility. Well, first of all, mm -hmm. all of that goes into who the man is. The man having uh, having rights has to give something back 
ultimately his life if there's a war and the government decides to press the man into service. So the man is always under the umbrella that I have to really, as a citizen, I have to give something back to the society. The woman does not have this particular orientation, you see. So this is very, very important. This impacts the male throughout his entire life. I also mentioned to you that it uh, it, 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 um, it sets up a dissimilar uh, employment opportunity because if the male is not registered for the selective service, his qualifications don't even come into play. While the woman can just give her qualifications and sashay right into the position. See, the man has to be accountable before he can enjoy any of the benefits of, of, of the country's privileges. The woman does not. Do you follow that? As an attorney, you should follow that. Well, I follow that, but keep going with respect to what is the man's responsibility in the relationship. Well, the man's responsibility is to hold up uh, his end. Uh, social scientists have, have, have uh, acknowledged uh, three stages of a relationship, stimulus, value, and role. So there has to be this initiation of communication. That's very important if anything else is to follow. You follow me on that? Yeah. Okay. Number two, values. The people have to discuss their values. Just like you and I are talking now, I'm speaking to you about fairness. That's a very, very important aspect of human interaction, that we be fair toward each other, equitable, if you please. All right? Fairness, having this kind of conversation to really determine if we should be together. Because maybe you waste your money. I'm a saver, you're a spender. It's, it's, it's not likely that we're going to be together. I like sex, you don't. You want to be a nun when you get married. That won't work. Okay, might not I work. have That's some true. conflict resolution skills. You have none. So you think it's okay to pummel me to a pound of steak if you get upset. So we discussed these things early on, values, uh, stimulus, value. We discussed these, you know, in our conversations, and we can enjoy doing it, by the way. I'm enjoying having this uh -huh. conversation with you, even though this is my first time. And thirdly, roles. In a dyadic relationship, what kind of roles are we going to exercise? How often do you hear women complaining, well, he doesn't have work around the house with chores. But did you ever talk about those before you got hot and heavy and then advanced to a relationship? Answer usually, no. So these well, things, know, the essence a of a relationship in America. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. I think there are a lot of things that, there are a lot of expectations that people come into marriages with that they don't talk about. And I think, I, I, I have to say, I I've heard that one before, that, you know, before the man and the woman get married, usually they don't talk about what are the roles because I remember having this conversation with my ex-husband probably two months into our marriage. And what we, what we discovered was because he came from a home where his mom had um, taken care of the house single-handedly, he expected me to do that. 
But the right, thing but that you, was well, wait, wait, wait. But you didn't talk that. about this before. He's your ex-husband, correct? He's my ex-husband. We didn't talk about it before because you know what? You didn't know it was important. And so well, why didn't you so bring it up? It was important to you. Well, it wasn't important. Well, see, we didn't live together before we got married, and so we didn't know that was going to be an issue. That's why we no, didn't no, 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 no. I'm just talking about you at this particular juncture. If we're, I'm isolating you at this point. You knew that if you got in a relationship, you knew you wanted a relationship. Presumably, you knew some of the elements of a relationship. So, if you knew that the that this was important, that he helped you out with certain household chores. Although there are a lot of chores that men do around the house that they are not given credit for, like uh, taking care of the car, taking care of the roof, uh, fixing the plumbing, the electrical. A lot of men do that. And when we talk about um, male-female delineation of work around the house, we only include what is considered, quote-unquote, the woman's chores. We don't talk about mowing the grass. So we... See, our conversation about the male-female paradigm or dynamic is skewed. We don't. You, you follow what I'm saying? We don't even talk about the whole picture. Well, you know, the the reason to answer your question, the reason I didn't talk about it was because Wait a tell I the didn't truth know it and was shame the devil. Okay. Oh, here's the truth. No, here's okay, the truth. Okay, but what I I'm saying is, know. I just told you the truth, and I I, I monitor, I survey. These different surveys, and I'm telling you, when they talk about the uh, uh, confusion and conflict about household chores between men and women, they don't deal with the outside of the house. They only deal with the inside. You follow me? Yeah, I follow you. Okay, tell the truth and shame the devil. But but here's the truth, though. A man's responsibilities are not relegated to just outside the house. Well, but the point is, going back to where we were isolating you, you knew something about a relationship, but you chose not to broach that with the guy that was your future husband. You didn't talk about these. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Not Not as related to the chores. I did not. I did not know that chores were going to be an issue because I had never lived in the same house with another man, um, and he and I didn't live together, so I didn't even know that chores would be would come into question. Okay, so let me married. ask you a question now. I, I see where you're going with this. Allow me to ask you this question now. May I ask you a question? May I cross-examine you slightly? You may cross-examine me slightly. What's your question? Thank you very much. Do you... Both talk about this now. I don't know if you're married now. Are you married now? I'm not married now. Okay. All right. In any future intention or situation where you might become involved with a guy, number one, will you talk about these issues that you failed to talk about in your in your first relationship? And number two, oh, absolutely. Wait, wait a minute. I got it. This is a two-parter. This okay. is a two-parter. And number two, will you promote this to all the other women whom you have influence to discuss these issues with potential mates as a priority? As a priority. Right here. Absolutely, because this show right here, this is the influence. 
This is okay. part All of, right. hey, that's this a good is answer part of how it. the message goes out, right? Because everybody hey. who listens to this is going to hear a man's viewpoint about this and say, oh, you know, I never looked at it that way because, you know, that's what you made me do. But here, let me ask you something else since we're on the okay. topic. So I'm from Zimbabwe, right? And here's how this works in my culture. Let's, let's, let's leave the man and the woman for a moment and let's talk about the circle around them. In my culture, there is a dowry that is paid when a woman gets married. The man has to pay a dowry. And the reason the man has to pay the dowry is because it goes not just to the parents of the wife, but it goes to the patriarchs in her family. Traditionally, the dowry was the way that Zimbabwean men and women got married. There's a whole ceremony, there's a whole process, and what it does is it is a token that brings together not just the man and the woman, but the entire family unit. And so when I got married, my parents didn't view my husband as their son-in-law. They viewed my husband as their son. And if, now my husband happened to be African-American, but if I had married a Zimbabwean, I would have been my husband's daughter. And what that means is that the accountability of both that husband and that wife is completely entirely to both of their sets of parents and their sets of families, just as it would be to each other. So, you know, sometimes I talk to my friends who were raised in, particularly my friends who were raised in the South, and they talk about how, you know, the worst thing that you could do at school is cause your teacher to call your mom or call your dad. Because if your parents found out what you had been doing, if you'd been misbehaving, there was going to be hell to pay. And the accountability at home is kind of like that. So when you get married, you don't just get to say, hey, I married and it's you and me. No, no, no. I married and it's you, me, your family, my family. And what that means is when you have problems in a marriage, then my, like when my auntie and uncle, my auntie and uncle got into a fight once and uncle threw auntie out of the house. She went to her husband's brother's house. And they took her in. And for three months she lived there while they got all the other siblings together, six siblings all got together, and they tried to broker a peace deal between this man and his wife so that the wife could go back to her husband's home. And so she did. And, you know, marriage is hard. And over time, you have these things that happen in marriages. You have these things that happen in families. But one of the things that that has been true historically of Zimbabwean culture is you've got this huge family unit that is supporting you and encouraging you to stay together. And part of my suspicion is that had I lived in Zimbabwe at the time that my husband and I had our issues, we might still be married today because it wouldn't have been just you and me. It would have been a whole family unit that sort of came together and said, okay, come let us reason together. So when you think about... um, American society, do you think that that is a distinction that is critical? If all of us had not been scattered to the four winds and people lived, you know, in different states from their families and you still had that close family unit, do you think that it would have a positive impact on the divorce rate today? You mean a negative impact? 
well, call it what you will, positive impact to the extent that we have fewer divorces or a negative impact to the extent that we have fewer divorces. I see what you're saying. Right, but right. do you think it would make a difference? Right. It would be positive for marriage and negative for divorce. Absolutely. Because uh, remember, you just, oh, you, quoted, you, you quoted a verse. But look, in the, midst of, in the presence of counselors, purposes are established. And I agree that most men and women who enter into a relationship, and it's both familial, as you've just articulated, and it is also uh, enterprising or financial. And, by the way, in some cultures, the wife pays the husband's family a dowry. But how much is the dowry, by the way, if you don't mind my asking? I don't mind your asking. You know, it varies by family. It's extremely subjective. So you can talk about it could be a couple of hundred U.S. dollars. It could be cows. It could be goats. It could be sheep. <laughs> it could be I a mean, in a, in a modern-day setting, what, what would the dowry amount to? Oh, there are still some families that request cattle for dowries, even today. Even today. Well, yeah, see, that's misplaced for most people. Most people think that uh, milk comes from a cow's nest. So we we have been so <laughs> blessed in the U.S. with respect to agricultural industrialization. We're very, very removed from the uh, food food source, as it were. Uh, so anyway, I was just trying to. Was it is it between five thousand and twenty thousand? Between fifteen thousand and forty thousand? What what's what's a, a figure among people who still practice the dowry uh, system? If I were to give you a range, I would say it can be as low as five hundred dollars, and okay. I have heard of it going as high as forty to fifty thousand dollars. Okay, all right, that gives me a better picture. Uh, absolutely, what you say. See, relationships need a buttressing, and I often talk about this uh, where I, I, in fact, I'm encouraging a, a microcosmic expression of that or, you know, an individual expression uh, when I tell the two people to talk. They are their first counselors. I, I, I mean, it, it's the responsibility of the two people in the relationship to have that ability. And I talk about conflict resolutions as one of the important aspects of the serious conversation that uh, men and women should have. And we should have that generally when we go out in groups and this sort of thing. The other thing I highly recommend is professional counseling. Oftentimes it will be told me uh, the trauma that women either have experienced uh, or perceive that they have experienced. And I say, okay, it is what it is. She knows that she should get herself in counseling. You shouldn't go into a relationship when you know that you're damaged beyond that relationship's uh, requirements. In other words, you can't meet the requirements of that relationship because of your damaged state. So get yourself into counseling. Limp home, as it were, to a counselor and get yourself get yourself on a counselor's couch so you can be properly advised. Because you shouldn't go in your relationship with this damaged mentality and perception and then destroy your relationship. What sense does that make? And, um, excuse me? That makes no sense. Right, it makes no sense to take a damaged mentality into a relationship is what you're saying. That's right. Okay, so so these are some very palpable 
and doable things if we would talk about them. Number one, I talk about it starts with the man and woman. Sure, there's been damage done to us socially and historically, but we are where we are now, and we have to live where we are and then move to where we want to go. I tell women, invite men to the park where you can have an uninterrupted, uh, peaceful conversation. And by the way, the University of Chicago did a study to where they pointed out that um, having a walk in the park, it's exercise also, where there are trees, increases brain matter. It actually causes your brain to increase in size. And it also increases your acuity and alertness. So just having that walk. I tell women also invite men to the uh, racetrack where you guys walk and talk. You know it's been said walking is the exercise of genius. We should be creating more genius. Look, what I'm saying in gist is that women have much more power to be constructive in terms of initiating vital communication than they currently are. Currently, women are, are, are buffeting. They are resisting communication. We can't read you all's mind. Like if I see an attractive woman, I don't know if she's a lesbian. I don't know if she's so, psycholo so psychologically damaged she's incapable of having a relationship. And certainly I don't know if she wants to have a relationship with me. Women can bridge all of that by just, hi, how are you? You don't have to have a fancy line. Hi, how are you? I'd like to get to know you. Here's my card. Please give me a call. Or, hi, how are you? Can we just walk and talk along this, uh, you know, well-lit and populated boulevard? I mean, there are so okay. many things. That, let, let me just well, complete this thought. There are so, yes, thank you. There are so many things American women could do to enhance the communication that's not occurring if, if, if it would just be explained to them to take responsibility. Or those women who are very controlling, remember, women have a big ego. Most women have a big ego and they're very controlling. And that's all it is. They are going to have to mitigate <laughs> okay. that. All right. Well, listen, we are at the top of our hour. And so, Mr. Solution, I'm going to thank you for calling in today and sharing you uh, sharing with us your opinions and your suggestions. I have listened and I have heard, and I hope that uh, the listeners out there have also listened and uh, will will take into account everything that you have suggested. So I thank you for joining me on the Speedway Show today. Oh, and, you're welcome, um, and I've given you some practical uh, assignments. Well, yes, you have. So thank you very much for that, listeners. Give some thought. Women, especially women. Um, clearly, Mr. Solution was talking to you today. So give some thought and take some stock of where you are and where you want to get to and how you're going to get there. And uh, so with that, thank you for listening to the Speedway Show. Your email, if you recite your email, I'll send you a bio, and maybe we could have another structured discussion. Oh, absolutely. You can email me at info at thespeedwayshow.com. And uh, the Speedway Show is T-H-E, the Speedway is S-P-I-W-E, show.com. So yes, good. please send me a, a bio and we'll talk some more offline. And maybe if you'd like to show up and be a guest on the show again, we can uh, find something else that I'm sure will uh, have a 
robust conversation about. And uh, so thank you for, for calling in today. Sounds and, good. Uh, God bless. Thank you. Bye-bye. Listeners, if you would like, you are welcome to um, take a look at the website on this particular episode when you listen because you're going to hear, you're going to be able to pick up links to other shows like Why, uh, you know, Why Am I So Lonely? I Knew We Had Problems When and Love Anyway. If uh, you are uh, looking at your relationship and feeling like you uh, haven't held up your end of the bargain, those are the places you can start listening uh, and uh, get some ideas for what you can fix. And uh, perhaps if your spouse isn't holding up their end of the bargain, maybe there are things that you can pick up for how you will then cope and address those issues. So check those out. Check also the links to some of the articles and statistics related to this show on uh, the website for this particular episode. And uh, if you like, you can also join us on Facebook.com, The Speedway Show, or follow us, uh, follow me on Twitter at the handle The Speedway Show. And uh, visit the website and tune in next week for another interesting topic. You can also sign up for the RSS feed on the Internet site. And you can join our mailing list so you can see what's coming up every week. So until then, this is Speedway saying go in peace and treat love as a verb. Thank you for joining us on the Speedway Show. Until next time, live well, live fully, and love deeply.